Coca-Cola. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports Wrap-Up. My name is Jonathan Michael, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the marvelous Joey Thompson. How are you doing today, Marv? Hey, Jonathan, I'm doing great, man. Just um, still recovering from that Super Bowl. It was a great game. I really enjoyed it. Partied a little too hard on Sunday. That's good. I'm sure a lot of us did. A lot of our listeners did. Want to mention to follow along with us on Twitter at JM Sports Wrap Up at Marv underscore Wrap Up. We still enjoy interacting with the fans, the media, and everyone uh, we have conversations with on the weekly basis when we are not doing the show. We really appreciate that. Want to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go ahead and visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up. And you can take advantage of a special offer for our listeners that includes three free audiobooks and a month membership to audible.com where you'll get discounts on all things audiobooks. They have some great new content as well as all the original favorite titles, best selling authors. So go ahead and visit audibletrial.com forward slash wrap up. So without any further ado, Let's get into the first quarter. I've been telling you on the sports wrap-up all football season long that elite Pro Bowl Hall of Fame quarterbacks win Super Bowls. And once again, on Sunday night, that theory was proven true. 14 of the last 16 Super Bowl teams have featured a Hall of Fame level quarterback, guys who are either already in the Hall of Fame or well on their way. Breeze, Brady, the Mannings, Russell Wilson, and now Patrick Mahomes. The trend continues. You can say that this is due to the rule change. It favors offense, so it favors the better quarterback. And yes, that is part of the argument, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than that because this is a heavy trend. It's always the better quarterback. And these were two quarterbacks that went head-to-head for three quarters. Jimmy Garoppolo was no slouch. He played pretty well, and we'll get into that in a minute. But the 49ers, they had a near-perfect game plan. They were up 20-10 to with less than seven minutes left to go in the game. But did you notice? They let them play. They always let them play in the playoffs since the Super Bowl. The refs are not throwing the flags. And I look at it like a business or the stock markets. After all, the NFL is a business at the end of the day. It comes down to business regulation. In the regular season, the NFL regulates their business. And they do it for parity. They do it for safety. They want the teams to be even. They want the games to be close because after all, they want you to tune in. They're not fixing it. They're not rigging it, but they want to keep it close. They want you to consume their product. But in these playoffs, in the Super Bowl, they ultimately want the best product, the best team to prevail. So they deregulate the market. Those referees, they keep their flags in their pocket and their whistles in their hands. They're not helping anybody out. Did you notice how that offsides, Troy Aikman pointed it out, looked like he jumped offsides. I thought he jumped offsides. No call. Hit Jimmy Garoppolo in the helmet. No call. No need for player safety in the Super Bowl uh, when he when he has all the offseason to heal up. Unless it's blatantly obvious, unless it's vicious and really dirty and really mean, they're not going to call it. Only nine penalties in the entire game including those two big-time penalties that would have kept the ball in San Francisco's hands for longer. They could have ran out more of the clock, and Kansas City's comeback would have been a lot less likely. They were already at 5% chance to come back, and it would have gone a little bit lower. The Super Bowl, the playoffs, when you deregulate the market, it's the old economic theory. The rich get richer. Now, those that say the rich get richer and everyone else gets richer. That may be the case, but when you have a option of win or lose, you can either win or lose. They're binary. There's not everybody can win. One team has to win, one team has to lose. 
the rich are going to get richer. The more talented are going to get more and more. Think of it in the business segment, the business world. You put up Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos against a startup guy in your local town, some guy running a tech startup. Sure, he's bright and he's brilliant. He's the CEO of a tech startup, but he's not Elon Musk. He's not Jeff Bezos. And you put those two head to head, one has to win, one has to lose in a deregulated economy. Well, Bezos and Elon Musk have more capital. They can raise it up. They have more talent. They have more abilities than your local startup guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, brilliant, but he has his limitations because he hasn't accumulated all those funds. He doesn't have all the talent. And watching that game last night, Patrick Mahomes was the Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezos, if you like, and Jimmy G is a brilliant new startup guy, and we'll see how he goes. We'll see how it goes for the 49ers going forward. A lot of good things for him, but it just wasn't enough. Great talents, the best talents who touch the ball every time, they don't need special rules. They don't need help. And they can overcome bad calls. Remember the big play to Tyreek Hill. That was on third and 18. There was a penalty before that play. So what? Patrick Mahomes dropped back, throw it up. Tyreek Hill, rest is history. Great talents can lead you to 21 points in a quarter. Good talents just can't do it. They need a little bit extra help. They need the breaks. They need the penalties. In the regular season, you can go 12-4 and and win a division with a below-average quarterback. You can cover it up. You can raise their level of play. You can have a good defense, a good running game, a good line to mask it. You can get down by 10 points, and you can wait to play until next week. You can take a loss and live to fight another day. But when everything is on the line, when it's winner-take-all in a Super Bowl scenario, in a deregulated market, the rich get richer. Marv, I compare the quarterbacks in the Super Bowl to CEOs. You had an elite-level CEO in Patrick Mahomes, similar to a Elon Musk in our business markets here in America. And you had a really good local startup in Jimmy Garoppolo, but I want to focus on Mahomes for a minute. Knowing what we know now, winning the first Super Bowl in Kansas City in over 50 years, winning the MVP at 23, winning the Super Bowl at 24 years old. Marv, let's say the worst happens and Patrick Mahomes is not able to play. He gets injured. He, he has a career-ending injury. Are you putting Patrick Mahomes in your Hall of Fame right now on his body of work? may sound crazy, but I'm putting Pat Mahomes, first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, no questions asked. Reason being is this guy has been amazing since the second he started for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Pat Mahomes has accomplished many things in such a short uh, period of time. In two seasons, Pat Mahomes, as you mentioned, has won the MVP, and he's won the Super Bowl, and he's won the Super Bowl MVP. And he's the youngest to do it. It's amazing. I mean, there's nothing else to do. I mean, what else can he accomplish in the league? He's he's broken records. Uh, he threw 50 touchdowns and about what 5,000 yards his first year, and then he comes back. He gets injured during the season. He overcame the Madden curse, which is unheard of. Uh, you know, a lot of you may play the video game Madden, and you know the Madden curse has has had some victims in the past, as we've seen. I mean. It's it's crazy what Pat Mahomes has accomplished, and I'm really, really excited to see what he continues to do in his career. Because as of right now, if something tragically happened to Pat Mahomes, I would put him in the Hall of Fame out of just those short, short amount of uh, seasons he's played. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy hypothetical, but it's interesting to measure and interesting to think about. Beyond what you just said, I agree he would be in Hall of Fame on merit. But there's another interesting point as we induct the next Hall of Fame class this year. Five guys voted in. Five guys are voted in every single year. It's unlike baseball where you could have one or none. They do this mandatory five, and I think they might have to change it. However, as it stands, there were a couple guys, and I don't mean to pick on them, but 
when I think of Hall of Fame or position changing, NFL changing, guys, you just have to tune in to watch. I don't think of Edgerin James, Colts running back, who is going to be inducted this year. I don't think of Isaac Bruce, who's also going to be inducted this year. Those guys were great players, but if those guys are Hall of Famers, Patrick Mahomes is certainly a Hall of Famer. This is a guy who changed the position. Uh, somebody who is the youngest to win MVP at 23 years old at his position. He set records. He's this season, they're five and oh when trailing by 10 or more, and they trailed by 10 or more in every single playoff game. He struggled a little bit in the beginning, but again, the Mahomes magic is when you're down, when you're counted out, he just brought him back once again. And it's interesting to mention on that note, Tyreek Hill down and moping on the sidelines. You saw it on, on camera on Fox uh, broadcasting the Super Bowl. Guess who's over there talking to him? Patrick Mahomes. He belongs in the Hall of Fame for leadership alone. I say I like my quarterbacks to be vocal. It's the difference between the very good to great and elite. And he's certainly there right now. Now, we will more than likely see him play for 10 more years, and I don't see any reason why his play would fall off. But I would put him in the Hall of Fame today for those reasons that I just mentioned. Marv, with Mahomes being the gold standard, the face of the league, at the quarterback position, rules are more slanted towards the offense. As I mentioned in the opening monologue, 14 of the last 16 Super Bowl teams have had an elite-level Hall of Fame guy at their quarterback position. Do you see a trend going into this year's draft and beyond where teams will take more risk to draft a more talented quarterback? Because at the time, Patrick Mahomes was talented, but red flags, mediocre mechanics, and we're not sure we can coach this guy. Interceptions, 6-6 six and six at Texas Tech in his senior year. Do you see more risks being taken? Well, of course, it's a copycat league. And teams have already adopted that uh, model. As of last season, we've seen teams, for example, like the Broncos, who went and got Drew Locke, who's a gunslinger, has a similar mentality to Patrick Mahomes. And you're going to see that again this offseason. You're going to see teams reaching for guys like Jordan Love. Jordan Love's going to be drafted a lot higher than what his draft grade is. Uh, once he goes to the combine and he performs, Teams are going to fall in love with his big arm, his mobility, his style of play. A lot of people have said that he reminds them of Mahomes. So just because of that, I think teams are going to start reaching and taking the risk of getting that next guy that reminds them of Patrick Mahomes so they can build an offense that's high-powered just like the way the Chiefs did. So I do believe that. That's that's going to be a trend we're going to see a lot of teams adopting this upcoming season as well. I certainly see it being the same, but I have to say this about that trend. I think it's going to lead a lot of teams astray because their scouting departments and their general managers fail to recognize the trait that Patrick Mahomes has, that Russell Wilson has, that Peyton Manning had, and that uh, Tom Brady has, and that's the verbal trait and the ability to communicate. So as you mentioned, Jordan Love, who I like in the mold, can he uh, communicate with his teammates? Is he up uplifting? How does he diagram plays in the meetings? And we're not able to see that. So I do think that it's going to trend in the direction of more talent and teams should take risks but they should take mitigated risks. They should do their due diligence because I feel like so many teams don't. It's, it wasn't too hard for me to evaluate Jameis Winston. Not too smart. Got everything going for him at Florida State and he goes and steals crab legs. It wasn't too difficult for me to evaluate that Marcus Mariota doesn't speak and that he played in Oregon's system where he just – had had everything set up for him and everything was wide open. But Jameis Winston, not not a leader. Marcus Mariota, because he's not verbal, not a leader. And that verbal and that that leadership ability with Jameis Winston decision, it's not exactly verbal, but it, it shows me how he's going to make decisions, how he's going to communicate with people, how he's going to treat people. And teams need to focus on the talent as well as that, because I don't think you can hit your wagon to a guy who's like, 
yeah, he's nice, but we need to get him this, this, and this. The NFL is trending offense. It's trending explosiveness. The rules are going to continue to go that way for viewership. So you need to get yourself an elite-level quarterback or move off. Marv, do you think teams will start to move off quarterbacks quicker now, or should they? I believe so. Um, it's a trend that, for example, going back to the Denver Broncos, John Elway has done. Uh, he's gone through quarterbacks every other year. And I think um, other teams are doing that. The Cardinals, as of late, they've done it too. They drafted a guy in the second round one year. The next year, they drafted a guy first overall. I mean, if if it doesn't fit, I mean, you move on. Simple as that. You're cutting. You, a lot of teams are starting to cut bait early, which makes sense. Um, that's the best way to do it. Don't keep you know keep the same guy. If you, if it keeps it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and you move on. And I think a lot of teams are starting to notice that that works better with the new uh, salary cap that was made when the CBA changed a few years back, where they made the uh, dry picks uh, slotted salary. So it's a lot easier for uh, teams to move on from some of these guys who turn out to be busts. So I think it's a good idea, and that, uh, and I like that idea of teams doing that. Keep swinging till you, till you hit a home run. And that's what the Chiefs did as well. They had, at the time, uh, three seasons ago, they had Alex Smith starting at quarterback. He was very successful. Uh, he would always take them to the playoffs, but they wouldn't win. Chiefs said, you know what, we're going to take a chance and get this young guy, let him sit behind Alex Smith for a year, and we're going to unleash him. They ended up unleashing him. This was the plan they did three years ago, and look at him now. They won a Super Bowl, and the guy has an MV- two MVP titles. I mean, sometimes you got to take the risk and keep swinging till you, till you hit a home run, and the Chiefs hit a home run. Ideally, you're going to get it right the first time. You're going to draft your first quarterback as general manager, and you're going to be able to stick with him for a decade plus. But it's easier said than done to get it right the first time. And when you screw up, and more often than not, in this difficult draft evaluation process, you will, like you mentioned John Elway, he's at least willing and able to say, look, I screwed up. He's able to go tell the owner, man, I got it wrong this time. Let me go and get it right again. Pretend you're at your job if you're listening. If you went and told your boss, no, you ha- you totally screwed up. You screwed up the project. You screwed up the presentation. It wasn't even on topic. And you're like, no, that, that presentation was fine. Just give it a little time and, and people will come around. Your boss is going to react a lot more negative than you say, man, I just screwed up. Let me get it right the next time. You're going to get some grace there. But when the project, the presentation blows up in your face, it's going to look real bad on you. And the ego, I think, is the problem for a lot of these general managers and these talent evaluators. This ego, this is my guy. I chose him. I got it right. And it's all thinking about what you did. Whereas it did take courage and it took a little bit of risk to say, yeah, Alex Smith is good and he's getting us to the playoffs every year. But we could do a lot better, and we have a great team around him. And if we just had somebody who was a bit more talented, he could take us to the next level. And now the Chiefs sit with the ability to create a dynasty for years to come. Let's get into the second quarter. I find it very interesting how after the game on Sunday night, Everyone's taking to Twitter. Everyone's taking to the internet. They're making the funny memes, saying that Kyle Shanahan blows Super Bowls and Jimmy Garoppolo's not a good quarterback. We live in such a reactionary society that the last moment that we saw, the last five minutes of the game, all too often erases the first three and a half quarters. Did those not happen? Did they not exist? Look, the San Francisco 49ers did not lose the game so much as the Chiefs won the game. You have instances where a team just blows and botches it. But this was not the case. This did not happen on Super Bowl Sunday. Jimmy Garoppolo started out 18 for 22 and had his team up. 20 to 10. 
he was one deep pass away from Super Bowl MVP to put them up 27 to 20. Jimmy Garoppolo was fine. Jimmy Garoppolo is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I stand by it, as I said last week in the show. He still remains that. There's, nothing has changed there. He threw a bad interception. Tom Brady fumbled to lose the Super Bowl against the Eagles. Does that make Tom Brady not a good quarterback? Peyton Manning lost 45-3 to to the Seahawks in a Super Bowl. So he's not a good quarterback either. Here's the reality. This San Francisco 49ers team didn't have Jimmy Garoppolo last year. And they added a couple pieces, but they had Richard Sherman. And they had the core of this team intact, and they were 3-13. and 13. They had Kyle Shanahan. They had the core, 3-13. and 13. Jimmy Garoppolo comes back, 13-3. and three. Does that maybe resonate a little bit with you? It's his first year as a full-time starter. He's now 23-6 and six as a starter. I mean, maybe we should give him a little bit of time? Uh, Tom Brady wasn't exactly perfect when he started. Russell Wilson wasn't exactly perfect either. This guy's only been in the league for a couple years, and I understand he's highly paid, but when you look at his contract going into next year, it's under $30 million, which is a bargain. This is a team that made the Super Bowl much earlier than any of us thought. Most of us, including myself, thought 3-13 and 13 to 8-8. Eight and eight. I predicted that at the beginning of the season. That would be a very successful season. They far surpassed that. They play in the toughest division in the NFL, in the NFC West. Pete Carroll, Hall of Fame coach. Sean McVay, one of the brightest young coaches. Kyle Shanahan, definitely one of the brightest young coaches. And to defend Kyle Shanahan for a minute, it's not like he forgot how to coach. I would have liked to see him be more aggressive in the end, play to win the game, as opposed to not lose the game, more aggressive at the end of the first half, that is. Use your timeouts. You had a minute 45, three timeouts left. Understand you didn't want to get it back to the Chiefs, but Andy Reid was going for it on fourth down. You can take a chance, throw a pass or two. Jimmy has the ability to do that, but it was a big moment. And in big moments, in small moments, in any type of moment, none of us can be perfect. Did Kyle Shanahan have a perfect game? Absolutely not. But I hear all this criticism. He should have ran more. No, he should have passed more. Should have trusted his quarterback. No, he should have ran. Second guessing, we can do it forever. But again, you had the best quarterback maybe of all time on the ropes, playing terribly, up 20 to 10, seven minutes left. You just couldn't hold him off for the last six or so minutes. And unfortunately, that happens. Every one of us makes mistakes, makes some errors. But what I do know is that Kyle Shanahan is one of the brightest, if not the brightest, young coach. And Jimmy Garoppolo continues to win He continues to perform at a high level, and he has a very bright future. Marv, as we go to the other side of the Super Bowl, the losing side, San Francisco, they weren't victorious. And everyone wants to take to Twitter. They want to take to the internet. All the same people that picked the 49ers, I think the 49ers were the more prevalent pick. We picked the Chiefs. But all the people who picked the 49ers are going to Twitter, going to the internet and saying, Kyle Shanahan can't coach. He's a choker. Jimmy Garoppolo's no good. Well, I, I, I don't see that. They didn't just become bad overnight. There were three quarters of good football, three and a half quarters to be exact. And we thought they were all going to win and they were perfect. And we we're going to have a totally different conversation. Jimmy G was going to be MVP. Kyle Shanahan was going to be the best young coach in the league. But I have to ask you, somebody deserves the blame for the loss. Who deserves the most blame for this loss for the San Francisco 49ers? I would like to say 
the the head. I'm sorry, the coaching staff. I think should take the blame or at least the bulk of the blame. A reason I say is it feels like midway through the fourth quarter, after the 49ers uh, scored and went up by ten points, they took their foot off the pedal. They weren't as aggressive on defense. They on offense. They decided to go away from the run and started throwing passes, doing play action, you know, getting pretty with it, with the pe- with the play calling. And they had a couple three and outs. Jimmy Garoppolo, I believe, also threw an interception. Uh, they just looked out of sync going into the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter. And the Chiefs, of course, turned it on and were very aggressive and pulled the comeback win. And I noticed, like, the the 49ers, you could see the intensity in their defense wasn't there. Their offense, like I mentioned, they weren't blocking correctly because Jimmy G was under duress for that last couple of minutes. He was taking hits. He was getting sacked. It was just bad. Like, I, I feel like the blame, the bulk of the blame has to go to the coaching staff on this one. To me, I feel like hindsight is so 2020 in this situation. There were a couple penalties that were very big. If you remember, there was an offside, Troy Aikman pointed it out, and that would have made it third and five instead of the third and 10 where they did not succeed. And it was either on that play or a play previous that he got hit by he, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo got hit helmet to helmet and they didn't call it. So they got a couple bad breaks, but I've heard that They did too much passing. They did too much running. It's always going to be like it didn't work out, so they should have done the other thing. I kind of buy into the idea that they got a little bit ahead of themselves and they thought that they won. But Marv, can I just make the argument here that they made adjustments, they made proper adjustments, and they played great for three and a half quarters. And then Andy Reid, Hall of Fame coach Andy Reid, and Hall of Fame quarterback Patrick Mahomes just kind of happened. Is that... Is that fair to say? That is true. I mean, when you got two Hall of Famers on the other side of the field, possibly three with Terrell Suggs, I mean, you can't just take your foot off the pedal. You got to keep going full throttle and and basically put your foot on the, on their neck and go for the kill. And I think that's that's what affected the 49ers a lot. When you're playing a team with multiple Hall of Famers, you gotta gotta go out there and, and finish them. And that's what the 49ers lacked at the end of the game was that killer instinct to finish them off. And I didn't really have a problem, by the way, with the play calling at the end. I hear people saying they should have ran more. They should have passed more. They should have whatever more on on the offensive side. But the Chiefs defense is not getting enough credit. I don't think the 49ers stopped blocking. I think the Chiefs brought in new energy and intensity that was inspired by their leader, Patrick Mahomes, and they were putting Garoppolo under distress. And when I look at what the Chiefs did, they won more than the 49ers lost. And that was my entire point in, in the segment there. It's just we should give credit to the winners. This was not a choke scenario. This was a team taking advantage of an opportunity that was just more equipped for the moment. And we become such prisoners of the moment that we forget to recognize what a great team the 49ers are and what they will be. Marv, one last question for you here in this segment. Did this game for Jimmy G change your opinion at all? He did start 18 for 21. He was looking like he was going to be MVP. I guarantee you he would have been MVP. And he was honestly one throw away from being MVP. When they were down by four, he missed Emmanuel Sanders by three yards deep. If he would have hit that throw, we'd be talking Jimmy G as Super Bowl MVP. Did this change your opinion at all? In reality, um, it didn't change my opinion. I mean, I kind of had a feeling the game was going to come down to having Jimmy G win the game for them. And unfortunately he didn't deliver. Uh, he did impress me. And for the most part during the game, uh, he looked poised. He looked, uh, confident in his throws, but then the fourth quarter, well, the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter happened and he reverted back to, you know, the Jimmy G I, I always remember, which is 
a guy I think that wasn't able to win the game, but I can't put the, all the blame on him because I feel like, like as you mentioned, the Chiefs just uh, put another, you know, they added another level to, to their defense and started just blitzing and getting through the line and and causing havoc and and hitting Jimmy G and getting in his head. So I think that also played a part in how Jimmy G finished the game because he was worried about taking multiple hits. He did take a major hit to the head during the game. So I would be worried, you know, when I see these guys in red coming through the line, I'm going to get rid of the ball as fast as I can. So I think overall Jimmy G had a good game. I was impressed on how he uh, played throughout the game, but it didn't really change much what I think about Jimmy G. I still think he's an above average quarterback. He's not an elite quarterback yet, but um, I did come away impressed. Yeah, Jimmy G to me remains unchanged. You had him around 15. I still have him around between 7 and 10. I think the elite level quarterbacks are like the elite, the top, the best, or the top five. So he's right outside of that category. I, my whole argument was that he's top 10, and I still believe that he's top 10 after watching that game because he was one throw away from being MVP. You have to look at something else too, and that was the defense. To me, it was more on the defense than it was the offense because the defense eventually got exposed. Last week, we graded the position groups. And we talked about, you and I both made this observation, this offense for the Chiefs is too fast for the defense of the 49ers. And Richard Sherman, who is a very good cornerback, he lacks speed. I made that point. And we saw it on the tape in the game. He was unable to cover those guys. And it was just more to me, Chiefs were scoring points and the defense for the 49ers was not holding up because to give up 21 points in seven minutes, was it? It's not a good look for the defense. That's not on the offense. Let's begin the third quarter. Now, Tom Brady put out a tweet, an Instagram post last week, walking into a tunnel, walking out of a tunnel, We weren't sure. And it led to mass speculation. What does this mean for Tom Brady's playing career? Is he leaving New England? Is he entering New England? Well, it turns out it was all just a Super Bowl ad. And he was promoting that. He said he is here to stay. And now everyone wants to speculate that means he's going to stay in New England. I'm here to tell you, nothing's changed. Tom Brady is leaving the New England Patriots. There's a book called Love and Respect. It's about marriage. And the premise of it is that women need love as their primary need, and men need respect as the primary interest. And it's interesting to draw the parallel in this marriage between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. They're both the same gender. They're both male. And they both want the respect. They're both loved. They're beloved in New England, in the greater New England area in Boston. They are revered. They are unbelievable. But when you're so successful and you won six Super Bowls together, what else do you have left other than grasping at the ultimate respect? Can I do it without Brady? Is what Belichick is thinking. Brady's thinking, man, everyone in Boston loves me. Everyone in New England loves me. How come I can't get enough respect to get paid like the rest of of the quarterbacks in the NFL that play like I do. I should be making $30 million. And the Patriot way that has made Brady so successful is now working against him. He's wanted the exception. He got it. He was not traded. And Jimmy Garoppolo was traded instead. Now you're looking at him trying to gain the respect because he got some respect there, but 
Belichick is wanting to pay him less, wanting to move on. And did you notice in the beginning of the Super Bowl when they were doing the NFL 100 thing, Bill Belichick gave us a nice little flex, a couple rings. He was showing off. Hey, I want my respect too. I got six rings. I'm an all-time great coach. He was trying to win the Super Bowl when he wasn't in the Super Bowl. And Brady was too with his Instagram and the advertisement campaign with Hulu. These guys are fierce competitors and they don't quit. And this is not a football decision primarily. They've cemented their football legacies. There's no doubt about that. Belichick says, I don't need Brady. That's what he's telling us. Look at my Super Bowl rings. I can find somebody else. I found Tom Brady in the sixth round. I can do it with someone else. And Brady's saying, look, man, I just want some respect too. I want the chance to play without Belichick, and I want to be paid. So Tom Brady, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's Tampa Bay or Indianapolis or Chicago or the Raiders, who are reportedly now in on him, uh, they're the first official team to declare to sources that they're in on him. Somebody is going to get Tom Brady to at least sit down with him, and he's going to very seriously consider. Now, there are many marriages that have gone through counseling, and they look like they're at the very brink, like this one does right now, and they come back together because, more often than not, because it's comfortable, because we don't like change. Change sounds fun, and it sounds good, and it sounds like it would be awesome, but it's not. At least to us, it's, it's complicated. It's difficult. It takes effort. And we're creatures of habit. We like things that are the same. And that could happen here. But I think the primary objective of Tom Brady entering free agency, regardless of all the noise you've heard over the last week, I'm going to stand in my position that he would like to leave the New England Patriots if the right situation presents itself. And I think it will. Marv, outside of the NFL Super Bowl news, there's been a lot of news, a lot of interesting intrigue about Tom Brady and the Patriots going on this week. But I have to go back to the last couple years before we get into that. And I want to ask you this. Do you think that the Patriots have been disrespectful to Tom Brady in recent years and he just wants some respect? You know what? Um, the way I've been analyzing this whole situation, I do see that the Patriots have been slightly disrespecting Tom Brady in ways that I think it's already deteriorated their relationship. And Tom Brady just simply wants some respect for the six Super Bowls, for all the years he's put in. And the Patriots seem to be looking to move on from Tom, even though there's reports out there that they're offering him $30 million. But I think they're doing that to save a little bit of face and say, well, we're making an offer to Tom Brady, and he, you know, if Tom Brady decides to move on, they'll say we at least did our part in offering him some money, and he decided to go elsewhere. So it's not our fault we're, you know, going through this divorce. So I think at the end of the day, Patriots are disrespecting Tom in a way where Tom feels, you know, he needs a little bit more say in certain things. And the Patriots keep going behind his back, and that, and I think that's not right. And Tom has probably had it at, to this point, and that's why we're seeing what's going on right now uh, between the Patriots and Tom Brady. I understand where Tom is coming from. I understand his desire for respect because, as I mentioned, we as men specifically desire respect. We desire it a lot. But to the flip side, to the Patriots side, there is the Patriot way, and the Patriot way is what's made Tom Brady so successful. And the Patriot way is to move off of somebody and not pay them because when, you're, when you have to pay somebody who's past their prime, who no longer has their skills, it's a detriment to the entire team. I see a therapist, and one of the things that 
the therapist has taught me is that your expectations, what you expect will determine your reaction. So if my expectations are way too high for something, if my expectations are out of line with reality, it'll make me angry. But if I expect things more realistic, it's not to say don't dream, but if I expect something entirely unrealistic, then I'm going to be upset. Whereas if I, if I change my expectations, I'm going to be like, okay, I understand. I'm not mad. And that helped me get over any, any sort of anger issues that I may have had, any sort of frustrations. It, it was a whole new revelation to me. So when I, Tom Brady, dude, what did you expect? His expectations are completely out of whack with reality. This is what Bill Belichick does. He does it to everyone. You don't get a special pass. That's the, that's the attitude. Nobody gets a special pass. That's the New England way. So the idea that he expected it to be different and is, is all upset about it, it's kind of a little bit like, dude, what were you thinking? Of course this was going to happen. With that being said, there's been, like I said, there's been a lot of information out there, Marv. Brady posts to Instagram. It ends up being this big tease. The Raiders then tell Adam Schefter that they're going to pursue Jimmy Garoppolo. Adam Schefter, the breaking insider of ESPN, they tell him, we're going to go after him. And then the Patriots come out and say, we're going to pay $30 million or more for him. At the end of the day, with all this new information, we've talked about it before, but where do you think Tom Brady ends up? I think at the end of the day, as we mentioned, it's all about respect. And Tom Brady's looking for someone to show him that respect and he wants to show the world that he still has it. And as he mentioned in his, uh, his commercial during Super Bowl Sunday, I ain't going anywhere. So he's telling us that he's going to continue to play till he says he can't anymore. He doesn't want to be told that he has to retire. He's going to retire when he feels like it. And I think there's two to three teams that can offer that opportunity. One being the Las Vegas Raiders, which look like they're going to go hard at Tom Brady. And Tom Brady, at this point in his career, he just wants to be loved. And if a team like the Las Vegas Raiders offers him that love, I think Tom Brady's going to go there. And I don't know if the uh, the the Patriots, the money the Patriots are offering him, is enough for him to squash all the drama that's been going on and go out there and play for them. I'm sure Tom Brady. He wants to just be respected, loved, and and he wants to go somewhere that the fans will adore him. And I'm sure anywhere he goes, the fans will adore him because us as fans, we respect what Tom Brady has done in, in his career. And hopefully he he gets his wish uh, granted come the offseason. To build on your point, I agree with what you said. I don't think it's about the money, though. I think they offered him the money. He does want the respect. And let me put it in a different light. Let's pretend, Marv, we're in a totally different universe and the sports wrap-up has become the GOAT. We are the Tom Brady of sports talk. And we made all this money and had this incredible career and we are the go-to in talk. I might be interested in doing something else. Maybe I would want to become an author or talk about commentary on something else like politics or entertainment. Just just try to use my voice in a different way to connect with a different audience. And I know this is the same venue for Tom Brady, the same profession. I still think he wants something different, though. I think he wants to be able to be not only respected, but to try something new. I get this sense that He's done everything that he can in New England. He wants to see if he can win a Super Bowl elsewhere without Belichick. And Belichick wants to see if he can do it without him. And that's okay. Sometimes relationships end, marriages end, and they end amicably in a way. They end as as friends having mutual respect for one another. And they say, this is not for us anymore. We've done it for 20 years. It's worked out really well. Let's just part ways. And that's how I see it shaking out in New England. It's now time to begin the fourth and final quarter, which is our quick hitters. Our tackling of the news stories that are important in the NFL. We're going to dabble into a little bit of NBA, but before we start, 
this fourth quarter, Marv, I have to mention our fourth quarter last week, you hit on every single bet except for one. You went, what was it, three for four, four for five? Three for four. I believe it was three for four, yes. Went three for four, three yards short of going for a perfect week. So though money-making Marv is hibernating until next season, he deserves a lot of credit. And if you bet with him, you earned a lot of credit in the form of cold, hard cash. But let's get into our quick hitters here. We're going to tackle some news issues throughout the leagues. Here we go. Marv Baker Mayfield sounded like an adult during Super Bowl weekend, which was a little bit different from what we're used to. He was taking responsibility. He wasn't trying to get in fights with the media. He wasn't saying, I'm going to do what I always do. He had a more contrite tone. He was more respectful. He wanted to dive into his playbooks and get to know the coaches. I know this is all talk at this point, but what are your thoughts on this? I think Baker is finally starting to learn to just let things, let the media be the media. Take it, you know, he's going back to being old Baker. What I mean by that is old Baker always played with a chip on his shoulder. He let the media say whatever they wanted. And he just went out and performed. And I think this season, since he took a lot of heat this past season, I think the new season that's coming up, he's going to dive a little bit more into the playbook. And I think he's going to try to become a better leader and lead by example and let his play do the talking. And so hopefully that's what we're seeing, you know, now is Baker's evolving into a more mature player. Uh, I think he's learned from his past mistakes and that how he's handled the media. And he looked like, you know, unfortunately, he's looked like a clown this past season. So hopefully from what we saw during Super Bowl week, this is what we're going to get a little bit more of Baker during the, the next season. I've said more than one time the worst thing that has ever happened to Baker Mayfield was being the number one draft pick. He had been a two-time transfer, a walk-on, somebody who always operated with a chip on his shoulder. And with the new coach, with a new general manager, they are no longer beholden to him like he's a number one pick. He's no longer a, he, he's truly a number one pick in reality, but in practice, in, in, in principle, he is not. They can move off of him. They did not draft him. They don't, they, they want him to succeed, but it's not their responsibility if he fails. They can move off him as early as next season. And this now is the best recent thing to happen to Baker Mayfield because he has to go back to being the old Baker Mayfield, the one who gets into the gym, the one who works hard, the one who performs with a chip on his shoulder rather than the guy who's on progressive commercials. So this is the best thing to happen to Baker Mayfield. I'm not buying any Baker stock just yet, but Things are looking up for Baker Mayfield. Dak Prescott says, and I quote, he won't be working out anywhere near the star, as in the star of the Dallas Cowboys. He'll be far away from the Cowboys this offseason by himself until he gets a new contract done. What does this mean to you in the saga of Dak Prescott and the Cowboys and their contract extension negotiations? What it means to me is uh, Dak Prescott's trying to take a page out of uh, Zeke's playbook. Basically, he's approaching this offseason the same way Zeke approached it last offseason. Difference is Zeke is an elite running back. Dak Prescott is an above-average quarterback who plays really well. Um, I don't think it's going to work best for him. I honestly think the Cowboys are going to call his bluff and then they're going to tag him and then he's going to be forced to play under the tag. And then he's going to have to, you know, what I, what I believe is this is the smartest thing for the Cowboys is put the tag on him so they can see if he can replicate what he's done in the past. And that, that saves the team from making a big mistake. So I don't like that Dak is going to try to do this. I think, you know, time away from the team. Possibly it's going to affect the offense because they got a new head coach coming in. So I'm not a fan of uh, guys holding out. So we'll see how this turns out in the offseason for uh, Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. 
he needs to be there as much as possible. I echo your sentiment with the new coaching staff. He needs to be in there learning with his teammates. A quarterback holding out is not the same as a running back. They are going to tag him. They're going to put the franchise tag on him. He's going to make $32 million roughly. He has no leverage here. They have the tag. He got beat by Carson Wentz throwing to JV guys, all backups, all injured, everyone on the Eagles. They have one of the best rosters in the NFL, and he could not lead them to the playoffs. And with Mike McCarthy, his stock can go up if he'll show up and run the offense. However, Mike McCarthy brought up Aaron Rodgers. Mike McCarthy is very good with quarterbacks for the criticism that we've had on him. And the Cowboys can say, yeah, maybe we'll just draft a quarterback and move on from here. I don't think that they want to, but Dak to me has no leverage and he should definitely show up. He will get tagged and hopefully he'll show up after that. And they'll see how he does with one season under a uh, more than capable coach with quarterbacks. Time will tell. Marv, I was watching Antonio Brown's apology. He did an interview with Josina Anderson. It spanned over 30 minutes, and they talked about several issues. I've been in, of the opinion that he won't play in the NFL again. Um, you've been very optimistic. I want him to play. I don't think he will, but does this change your opinion? Do you see things looking up, down? Where Where do you have it now? I think that apology he made, he seemed very genuine. He seemed humbled by all that's occurred to him in the last couple of weeks and months leading up to this apology. Um, his agent, the NFL, I'm sure a lot of his uh, boys and former teammates have urged him to seek help, and it looks like he's getting the help he needs. So I think if he progresses – and the help that he's seeking right now, then I think there's a small opportunity that Antonio Brown can make it back into the NFL under certain circumstances, depending on how, you know, he tests after he gets this help. Because I'm sure Roger Goodell is not going to allow him to just, you know, come back into the NFL. He's going to have to prove that he's all there mentally and he can handle the uh, the mental part of the uh, and what the NFL you know, brings every year, which is, you know, 16 long weeks of uh, getting hit and playing football. So I, I feel optimistic about, you know, uh, Antonio Brown's apology. And I think it did come from the heart. Um, at one, You know, at some point in life, people hit rock bottom. And I think he's come to that point. And the only thing there is for him is to go, uh, you know, get back up. It may be a long road for him to get back up, but I think it's possible. And, I, and I'm I'm praying for him, and I'm hoping, you know, Antonio Brown comes to a census, and one day maybe we can see him again back in the NFL, continue to adding to his illustrious, um, possibly Hall of Fame career. In watching the interview, I saw a lot of sadness, the eyes being the window to the soul. He was definitely contrite. He was apologetic. And most importantly, I think he was genuine. But if he was a cat, and as they say, cats have nine lives in the NFL, you only have two or three, and he's already on his fourth or fifth. He's had a lot of chances, so he has a very uh, much an uphill battle. It's going to be difficult. I just hope for him that he can get it on track. As I said last week, we talked a little bit about him, that First and foremost, I hope he continues to work on his mental health because that is far more important than any football game, any sort of paycheck. As long as he has money in the bank, which he claims, it's more important for him to get that in line. But I am hopeful that he sees the light now. He's reached rock bottom. Imagine being 25, 26. Imagine your 25 or 26-year-old self having $60 million, having a $60 million contract, you might have done some stupid things too. Maybe not that stupid, but these a lot of these NFL guys come up with worse upbringings than most of us. And it can be very difficult for them to manage and they 
On top of that, you're getting hit in the head over and over again. So I hope, again, first and foremost, that he gets his mental health in line. But I am actually a little bit more optimistic because I'm on the side of the fence that says, I don't think he's going to play again. I don't think he's going to be able to. But this was a huge first step in the possibility that he might. Marv, we're going to wrap up the fourth quarter, the quick hitters, with a little transitionary piece, a little segue into the NBA. We are going to continue to talk NFL, guys and gals, but we're going to do a little NBA sprinkled in here and there. So we're going to start with the NBA rumor mill. It's almost All-Star weekend. The trade deadline is approaching. This is where the NBA starts getting interesting. Marv, give us the latest in the NBA rumor mill. Well, the latest is um, there's been a lot of rumors swirling as of late uh, from Andre Iguodala potentially either sitting out the rest of the season if Memphis doesn't trade him to uh, D'Angelo Russell being mentioned possibly in a trade to the Knicks to possibly being part of a four-team trade going back to the Timberwolves to play alongside his best friend, Cat. Uh, I call that Anthony Towns for those of you who don't know. Um, but as of late, one team that keeps popping up in all these rumors has been the New York Knicks. Uh, as of today, February 4th, 2020, the New York Knicks have relieved their longtime front office executive and president of operations, Steve Mills. Uh, Steve Mills has been part of the Knicks for the last 20 years. He's been basically Jim Dolan's right-hand man. And Jim Dolan decided to uh, fire him, coincidentally, two days before the trade deadline. Uh, There's going to be a lot of change in New York happening. Uh, A lot of guys are on the move. Marcus Morris was deemed untradeable before this firing. He's now up for grabs. There's been rumors about the Knicks being interested in Kyle Kuzma. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, just to name a few. And they're looking to possibly even move Julius Randle to Charlotte. So the, the rumor mill has been on fire. Uh, Woj has been dropping some serious bombs on Twitter in the last couple hours. And Shams has also been following up with a lot of these rumors as well and confirming the Knicks are the wild card of the, of the, uh, the trade deadline. And everyone's really interested to see what the Knicks will do next. Uh, the guy that uh, they're targeting the most, I hear, is uh, Missouri from uh, Toronto. But it's going to be nearly impossible to acquire a guy of his talent because Toronto's not going to let him walk just like that. They're going to request at least a few draft picks for compensation. But if the Knicks are un- unable to grab him, uh, there's guys like... Uh, Pressy, Scott Pressy, I believe his name is, out of um, Oklahoma, who built the Thunder up when he drafted uh, Kevin Durant. He drafted uh, Russell Westbrook, and he drafted James Harden. So he has an eye for a talent. He knows how to build a team. He knows how to build a championship team. So he's available. Also, there's a rumor going around that the Knicks are possibly even trying to go the Laker route, which is hire a, a former agent who has ties to a bunch of superstars and put him in the front office role as the president, kind of like Rob Palenka or Bob Myers from the the Warriors. So it's going to be a really interesting next few days uh, for the NBA and the New York Knicks. Uh, It's going to be really exciting and we'll see what happens. Uh, Those are the rumors for now. As they keep coming, we'll continue to report them. and we'll let you guys know in the next episode of the Aftermath for the trade deadline. Yes, we will do that. We will give you more in-depth analysis as something concrete emerges. So get ready for a mix of NBA and NFL next week. We hope you all enjoyed this episode. That is the end of the fourth quarter. The game is now finished. We thank you all for listening. I have to say, though, it is never finished on Twitter at JM Sports Wrap Up, at Marv underscore Wrap Up. Don't forget to follow along with us during the week. We look forward to interacting 
with you on an ongoing basis. And we hope you have a great week. And Marv, do you have anything for the people? Thank you for listening, guys. We appreciate it. Keep giving us those five-star reviews. And we'll continue to uh, churn out some really good content for you guys to listen to. Appreciate y'all. Yes, great observation, Marv. We really love to get those uh, reviews. It really helps our show grow and be discovered on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeart, wherever you may be listening. We would really appreciate that if you've listened this far. We'll continue to do the homework and bring you all the news you need to know throughout the sports world. And we try to make it interesting and fun and related to your daily life. So have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Later, guys.